The Cleveland Cavaliers absolutely took business against the Washington Wizards. Let's dive in. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use our code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Cavs beat the Washington Wizards on Wednesday night, a 140-101 to win. Not really competitive outside of the first quarter. A big game for Jared Allen, a return to foreign game for Max Struess, another 20-point night for Karis LeVert. Evan, what's your big takeaway from, from the Cavs dub? Um, you know, if you're a fan of the Cavaliers, you wish you played the Wizards all 82 games of the season. Um, losing streak aside, I think Washington may be worse than the Pistons because at least the Pistons showed some fight, some losses. And yeah, the losing streak really does crystallize how bad that Pistons team is too. But, um, this Wizards team is dreadful. And I think for the Cavs, they, they looked like a cat playing with their meal a little bit before they kind of. Went in for the kill and uh, just kind of stretched out a lead, especially in the second half after Sam Merrill and Max Drew started, started out red hot. And they just kind of didn't relent. And considering how frustrating the loss or the end of the loss was to Toronto or just the fact that you're on a two-game losing streak if you're Cleveland, I think getting a win like this in such a dominant fashion against such a bottom feeder team really does at least give you a bit of a morale, morale boost if you're the Cavs in the locker room. Utterly just, I think, uh, a game you needed to have, a game you needed to just cruise against, and you just run down the board. It's like, okay, you didn't need Donovan Mitchell to go out and have like a monster game here, and he only played 24 minutes. That is a big positive, if I'm Cleveland. The fact that your best player who's been sick, who you're going to need in the long run, didn't have to put up 35 minutes for you to eke out a game against the Wizards, that's a real positive. Mitchell, again, 24 minutes, 6 of 16 from the field was 4-9 from 3, so only made two two-pointers, was 6-6 six, six from the line, had 22 points, 4 assists. It's like a ho-hum Donovan Mitchell game, but you get 24 from Struess, you get 17 and 19 from Jared Allen, and 7 assists from Jared Allen. You get 21 from Vert, you get 15 from Niang, you get 11 and some assists from Merrill. Craig Porter gives you 8, Tristan Thompson gives you 7. You got a ton from basically everyone on this roster, it's Sands Dean Wade, who we'll talk about later. And, and, Frankly, we talked about this the other day, Evan. Sometimes it's just good to play bad teams. Like, it's just good sometimes to play one of the actual crappy teams in the NBA. Sometimes that just does your does your team some good, I think, if you're Cleveland. Yeah, it really does help quite a bit um, just to play, like, bad teams like this. Like, like I said, um, the... Cavs were on a two-game losing streak. They JB Bickerstaff and Donovan Mitchell certainly questioned some of the calls that went in Toronto's favor or against Cleveland, against the Raptors. And so, like, they, there was some clear frustration heading in, and they beat up the Wizards quite a bit. And it's just a good palate cleanser, I guess, is the best way to put it too. Um, just to kind of ensure that uh, you can just kind of right the ship a little bit and again like improve the mood and i'm not saying the mood was bad in the locker room but like at least improve the general vibe because it's like yeah you have a dominant win this is your largest margin of victory this season the most points you've scored overall 
without Darius Garland and Devin Mobley, and you get to do it again on Friday. So, like, these are two good opportunities for the Cavs to feel good about themselves before they host the Spurs on Sunday. And the, the Cavs kind of needed this after some frustrating bumps to start the year. I think, too, just with where the schedule is heading, this is just the, the kind of win I think you just are good to have. Look through the, what's the upcoming slate. Wizards again Friday. Let's If you're Cleveland, get, get another dub. You get the Spurs at home on Sunday. They, they have victory at Wembenyama, but that team is not good. You should win on Sunday. Uh, how, how long is Jetty Osmond tribute video going to be? Hopefully like 10 minutes. That'd be cool. Uh, Brooklyn Nets in France next week. And then you get the Bulls at home on January 15th after you come back from, from overseas. I, can, I, I didn't, I don't, I'm going to have to go and do some reading, I guess, on how the Bulls and the Pistons, I believe, did last year coming back from, from France and what that jet lag was like. I don't know how those teams did after coming back, but you'd expect you're probably okay after four days. If you come back on, let's say the 12th, three days after the 12th. And then you get the Bucks on the 17th, and then you get Atlanta and Orlando for that. But these next stretch of games, Wizards, Spurs, Nets, Bulls, those four games, those are all very winnable games. This is a this is a mid of overall, like the NBA is really competitive. It's been a tough year. This is a soft spot. So to win this one at the after the two game losing streak that you mentioned, that's just good energy. That that's just there's something positive about this, and on top of all the injuries and, and winning and that stuff. Yeah, um, as the kids would say, the vibes are a bit more immaculate coming off of this win. And for Cleveland, the way this, that the schedule is structured, they're cramming in a lot more games to start the season uh, just because they are going to Paris and they do have to take time off for travel and everything. Um, it's been a rough start, and I think they don't really have had like these soft stretches like they've maybe some teams have dealt with or even the Cavs have dealt with in the past. And it's a welcome surprise because it just you know helps you climb back up the ranks of the Eastern Conference after falling down to eighth place after losing to Toronto and sure beating the Wizards doesn't have a huge impact on things for Cleveland in the grand scheme of things you'd assume the Cavs will sweep the series against Washington or maybe at least win the series um, but yeah like these are just kind of wins you need to kind of have and for me at least it, it just at least showed some art for me or the fact that like the Cavs are on a different level in Washington because. They let the Wizards kind of play around for a bit, then they just turned up the screws quite a bit and um, never really looked back. A couple things we won't get to in awards that I think are worth bringing up here. Number one, Cavs had a field goal percentage of 53.5%. The Wizards at 41.6%. This is actually a good Cavs defensive performance in terms of defensive rating. That is a big change. The Wizards had an offensive rating of 99.2%. That's about as good as Cleveland's defense has been in any run of time of late, particularly with all of these injuries. Cleveland was dominant in the paint. They were dominant on second chance points. They were dominant on the fast break. They had more free throw makes and attempts than the Wizards as well. Everywhere you could look in this game, they were better. And Evan, I guess we can end on this. That's a low bar to do this against the Wizards. Like I'll say that as the caveat. But I can't think of many times that has really happened this year. So I guess if you're like looking at trying to just like spin this as much as possible or trying to like, I don't know what that can do for you. And it's like a long season. You play bad teams, all that stuff. But to just like get mm-hmm. a dominant win in this way, it's like since like the last Pistons game, maybe that it was this clean. And even that had some moments when in the Bojan debut. So I would I feel like this is just like one of the more like overall dominant performance, even if it's not a game you're going to remember come April. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's not a game you really remember come April. Maybe there's some highlights for 
either team um, heading into this game, regardless of just how you feel about the overall outcome. But um, more so to me, like it's just this, this is a high quality win for the Cavs. Like they should be feeling good about themselves after this one because they did take care of business against a bad um, Wizards team. And I'm going to bounce this off to you because I theorized it before, just like mm. talked about it before. Do you think um, the Wizards are worse than the Pistons? I, I after watching this game, I'm like, this was this was dread, like wire to wire. I'm like, this this Wizards team is just not fun to watch. I'll answer it this way: I would rather be the Pistons because you have Kate Cunningham and you have Jalen Duran. Yeah, I don't want to be the team paying Kyle Kuzma this contract, I, and and in the context of how bad your team is, and I don't want to be paying Jordan Poole this contract. And when your best young player, who is a guy I like in Bala Kulabali. I, I don't really know what's going on here. I think the, the Pistons, obviously, you're going to have the historic losing streak, but I at least like some of the young guys, and I can't say I like anyone on the Wizards as much as I like some of the guys on on the Pistons. Yeah, I think that, that then that's the issue, too, is like the, the Wizards are struggling through this season. And, yeah, they do have Bilal Kubali, who I think is going to be a fine player, but this isn't like last year's draft class where like, there's a clear-cut number one like there was with Wemby. Or even with like the Mobley, Cunningham, Barnes um, draft class, like you, you didn't really have like a clear cut, like, you know, just t- player that made sense. Um, but like there's still a lot of talent at the top. Like for the Wizards, like it's going to be a bit of a crapshoot. And like going through a year like this really does stink because um, it's obviously not what you want to have to experience if you're uh, a fan. And um, I agree with you. Like the, I think the, uh, the, the Cavs are, or sorry, the Pistons are in a much better spot than um, um, where the Wizards are going forward. All right, coming up next, let's do Game Awards, MVP stat of the night, and play of the night. We'll talk about that and give out our MVPs first after this. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up. That's this Sunday, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use over there at FanDuel. They have live same-game parlays. You can find bets in their new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, and much, much more. If you're looking at NFL, the Browns-Bengals game on Sunday is one to look at, obviously. And then you have Cavs games this week as well. Cavs-Wizards will be favorites in that. I think they'll be favorites on Sunday as well. So you can take a look at those and maybe make your $5 bet there. I would pick the Cavs in both of those, I think. So, FanDuel.com slash Lockdown and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, MVP, Evan, for me, Max Struess. Max Struess coming out, shooting it well, 6 of 8. Never really lost his confidence amid uh, something of a slump for him. And there's a certain guy with an afro who loves the Nintendo Switch and uh, wears number 31. I think you're going to pick that is really the right answer probably. But I just thought Struess was as good as he's looked in some time. Him making shots and him just still being willing to take them is just such a, a difference for this team, even if I'm unsure of where they're going. But he has been good for most of this year. This was his best game in a while, so I thought he deserved some love. Yeah, he definitely deserves some love, as you said. Just like he, this is his better shooting performance overall, his most efficient shooting performance by and far. Um, 
If you're the Cavs, you're super jazzed with the outcome of this game uh, for Max Strews. And also, if you're Max Strews, like you said, like even if he is going rolling through the punches and kind of dealing with some of the general frustrations that come with, uh, you know, just you know the, the trials and tribulations of an NBA season. Um, yeah, like I, I just I don't know. I talk about this a little bit more in the third segment, but um he does give you a lot more um, even than just the shooting aspect, which is like, you know, what the Cavs mostly brought him in for, and they're happy that they're getting other results too. But um, more than that, um, when you see the shot falling like this and it's such an efficient clip, like, yeah, if you're the Cavs, you're more than happy with the money you spent on him. Who's your MVP? Uh, Jarrett Allen in this one. He floated the triple-double, did not play at all in the fourth quarter, which is, I think, testament to how hard the Cavs just kind of kicked the Wizards in to open this game. But, like, Allen was a two-way force. He had more rebounds than he did points scored. He had seven assists. I think he had two or three blocks. And on the stats directly in front of me as I read this off. But, yeah, just, like, super impactful on either end of the court. And I talk about this a lot. Even when Mitchell was sidelined, it was just Allen. Like, Allen continues to step up when the Cavs need him to, even though, like... Ideally, like in a fully healthy team, like the, he's the fourth banana for this Cavs group. But yeah, the, 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 he's just been really impressive for me uh, during this like entire stretch for Cleveland and just kind of been like a key cog for them to keep them afloat. He is just on this incredible run right now. It has been one of the best runs we have seen from him in a Cavs uniform. He's playing confident. He's playing aggressive. More of this, and I, again, him and Mobley figuring this out together is going to be difficult, but you got to, I think, try. All right, stat of the night for me. What have we talked about recently, people that have watched and listened? When the Cavs win, they get offensive rebounds. What do they do in this game? Get offensive rebounds. An offensive rebounding rate of 41.2%. That means on their misses, they rebound over 40% of their own misses. They had 18 offensive rebounds, a 20 um, offensive rebounding advantage of the defensive end as well. 62 to 36 overall rebounding advantage. A ton of damage done on the offensive glass. A ton of second chance points. Another key to victory for this team right now was just clobbering teams mm-hmm. in the offensive glass. It happened here. They won. That's my stat. Yeah, like they, the, the Cavs are just flat out dominant in this game. Like, I think just, you know, if you're JB Bickerstaff, good in this one. But it is an interesting thing. The thing that killed them last postseason against New York ended up being like, a big, big addition to them um, just because they do have like the bodies on their roster in terms of just like Jared Allen or uh, Evan Mobley to begin with. But you see like Max Cruz taking advantage and giving them the plus one effort that the Cavs are hoping that they would get from uh, Jared Allen at some points or sorry, Max Cruz or Jared Allen or George Niang or just like even like Dean Wade, who we'll talk about more in the third segment. Like these are guys that can kind of step up and they're playing with a little bit more heart and hustle and for a team that sometimes didn't seem to have an identity, like the, the Cavs are stepping up when they need them to. What is your stat of the night? Uh, the fact that I actually have this one in front of me, uh, Cleveland ended the fourth quarter on a 19 to four run against the wizards. Um, it just kind of crystallizes how dominant they were on both either ends of the floor. But like Cleveland was just really, really, really good. And I emphasis on really in this game um, and just made like a huge, huge impact um, on either end of the floor, but like that—that's that was the moment for me. I'm like, okay, they're gonna put the Wizards away, and I was still surprised. Max Drews is still out there, and most of the key bench guys. But then realized like Cleveland doesn't have a ton of dudes right now. Yeah, that dead on there, I believe. All right, let's go to play. Mine. Ten, eleven to go in the. Actually, that's yours. Three oh nine, third quarter. 
Cavs go up 20 on that Sam Merrill penetration and dime. Sam Merrill just out here being a fun basketball player is not necessarily something I had on my bingo card for this season. I had on, and he has, a, I know he had this wrist injury, and, and certainly his value is mostly three point shooting. He took nine of his 11 shots from three in this game, 11 points. But he had a little drive, had a little flair on the pass, just, just fun stuff in a six assist game for Sam Merrill off the bench. So good for him just contributing in this other way. That was fun to see. What's your play? Uh, good for you, Sam Merrill, for sure. Mine's actually a Sam Merrill play as well. So it was about 10-11 in the second quarter. Washington started employing a bit of a zone defense, kind of daring Cleveland to beat them with their shooting. And Cleveland definitely beat them with their shooting in the second quarter, or at least the first half. But it was a Craig Porter Jr. pick and roll to Tristan Thompson. CPJ didn't like the look on the interior, made the kick out to Levert, who then got it to a cutting Sam Merrill, who got a wide open and very clean look on the perimeter. and. If you're going to throw a zone defense at a team like Cleveland, um, it's helpful when you are able to break it down like that. Whereas like maybe last year, you wouldn't have seen that from the Cavs. They are in you know, this weird position, Evan, where there's like certainly guys that I want to keep seeing and to some degree. But I also just... There's, there's some guys like Sam Merrill and uh, Dean Wade who will talk about where I'm just, they leave me like wanting and I'm just, I'm really, I, it's like funny because I like in theory some of the depth here, but then I worry about how much of it is actually going to be able to scale up when you get to games that actually matter. Yeah, that's the issue in of itself is like, how does this team like level up or scale up um, on games that matter? And like, we'll talk, I'll talk about this. We can talk about this more in the third segment as well. Like, how do the Cavs maybe lean on their depth considering like JB Bickerstaff is a creature of habit? Um, and is he comfortable expanding the rotation, giving to this other guys? But at least now, like at this juncture, it is fun to see the Cavs not completely fall flat on their face and having Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen helps quite a bit, but like they have had a lot of other guys outside of Allen and Mitchell step up and just keep them afloat. Like I believe they are uh, seven or eight and two or eight and three um, without Mobley and Garland so far. And like, I'm still surprised like that is their record without two of their most important players. All right, coming up next, let's talk about Dean Wade, where he's at. And let's finish up the show on that. It's coming up after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Game Time is the best way to buy tickets to your favorite sporting events, your favorite things to do out in the wide, wide world. That's theater, comedy, Cavs games. There's so much you can go do by buying tickets at Game Time. You can see the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what you get when you arrive. All in prices to show your total up front. So you know you're getting a great deal before you check out and buy tickets in seconds with two taps. They have deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. And they have zone deals where you pick the section and game time picks the seats for big time savings. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKDOWN for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, that's, you have to create an account. Redeem our code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, Dean Wade, Evan, to me, is... If we're building out this rotation, which we'll do a little bit here as well, and, and kind of look at who actually is going to be in this rotation when the team's healthy. He's starting right now. I think he makes sense as the fifth guy in kind of what they're doing. 
He's obviously had a couple games here and there where he's made some shots and taken shots and been effective. But I, I also just feel like a lot of the time I watch him play and we see him and you kind of just forget that he's there for long stretches. His numbers this year are down um, from overall. He's shooting well from three, but and on, and on good volume to be fair, but it uh, he still just feels like I don't exactly know what he's providing all the time and what that the root of that is and maybe just a low usage role guy and that that is what it is but compared to like a George Niang even if Niang I think is a lesser defender there's just something missing with what Wade is providing around even if I understand in principle what he is what he's about what he's supposed to be doing here yeah um Dean Wade is a hot or cold player like there's nights like he will be or rather take the three-point looks he's getting, especially because he's pretty open on the perimeter. And then there's other nights he passes it up, those shots. And I think lately we're seeing the lows of Wade where he's passing up the shots and trying to play harder on defense and provide the Cavs like rebounding or maybe just a little bit of size, whether it's the small forward or power forward position. But I think as a utility with the Cavs, but his greatest strength is his shooting at the big man position. And if he's not giving you that, I agree. Like, yeah, you're taking a defensive dip when you go with George Niang over Dean Wade. But I think that's a sacrifice you're willing to make because the Cavs are pretty loaded in terms of defense when it comes to Mobley and Allen and then like Isaac Okoro stepping up. I think Max Drews has been a lot better than I thought he would be. And then like Donovan Mitchell's played pretty well some nights and then not so great other nights. But the Cavs have enough bodies and guys in the rotation where, like, they don't, they could sh- sure appreciate the defensive hustle, but they'd rather rely on that shooting more. And if Yang's just not afraid to rip it compared to Wade, you, lay not, you lean on uh, Wade more than he would. And I think now with Yang looking more comfortable, it just becomes more clear that that's the case. Who, okay, let's, I want to just say who, do, I'm going to get, we're going to play a little game impromptu here. I'm going to just name a role guy. I'm going to say Dean Wade or, and I'm going to tell me if you trust, Dean Wade or this other guy, more or less. And let's see kind of where the, the barometer goes for this, okay? Dean Wade or George Niang? Uh, George Niang. Okay. Dean Wade or Karis LeVert? It's going to be Karis LeVert. I mean, yeah, it's Karis LeVert. That's the, okay. the uh, sixth man of the team. Yes. I'm just throwing out all the role guys that aren't among the... the core four that I put in quotes. Dean Wade or Isaac Okoro? Okoro. So I think See, I think I'm more confident lately and there are nights the shot doesn't fall but at least he's taking them on like Wade. He has a usage rate that's like nearly 5% higher than Dean Wade's which is wild considering how little Dean Wade shoots the ba- or excuse, Isaac Okoro shoots the basketball. Yeah, like, that is like weird to think, but also like there are possessions where the Cavs have Okoro bringing up the ball and running the offense because they don't really have. But, any you, point but guard yeah, but usage, right usage, usage, you should it, like for people that don't know is how much, how much of the team's offensive time did the player use by shooting, turning the ball over, or assisting? So how much is he finishing a play on offense? Okoro's at thirteen point one percent. Dean Wade's at nine point four percent. Dean Wade has a lower usage rate than Tristan Thompson. That is pretty nuts to think about. Um, that's really nuts to think about. I, I don't know. I, I It's weird because Dean Wade says like um, his confidence hasn't waned um, after, despite the shoulder surgery, but he is feeling much more healthy after just the shoulder issues he was dealing with. 
And there are moments that show him like just being a much more competent player. But those numbers are surprising, especially like when when this team is fully healthy. Um, Briston Thompson probably isn't playing for the Cavs. Like All unless right, so like it's like a break do, yeah. glass in case of emergency type things. He's definitely had a Damian Jones. That's been well well established at this point. Just probably the still to me the the funniest story of the whole year that that's how the backup center thing has worked out. All right, so let's just do in the rotation or out of the rotation when the team is healthy. So we're Are we doing the this through the eyes of John Blair Bickerstaff or through the eyes of Chris Manning and Evan Damarell? Let's you be like, you be I, you, I, you, be be you be. and I, you be you and I'll try to put myself in JB shoes. Okay. Or do you want to do the do opposite? Or would you rather do the opposite? Well, who do you want to be? <sighs> I'm bald, so like I feel like I'm more in JB's head in that way, but I'm open to go the other way. Bald man to bald man. Um, That's right. It's it's we we talk, we actually all talk telepathically. No one knows this, but not nah, the world knows. How about we both give our thoughts, yes or no, and we can see how we feel what JB would say. Okay, so we are going to do this. By the way, I'm gonna. I have a list here that is the minutes in order. So we're just going to like do from the top. So there's going to be a bunch of yeses to start, but I, we need to kind of get through the whole roster with this. And let's, we're going we're gonna to be rapid. Donovan Mitchell, yes. I'm just yes. the answer for you. Yes. Max uh, Drews, JD, also yes. 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 Darius Garland, yes. yes. Evan Mobley, yes. Jared Allen, yes. Karis LeVert, yes. That's six. This is where like it starts to get like a little funky. Isaac Okoro, I think, is a yes. I do too. Okay. George Nang, I think, is a yes. I do too. Dean Wade as the would be the, the eighth no, that'd ninth. be the ninth guy. Is the ninth guy. Is that he a yes or a no? To me, he's a no. Uh to JB he is a ninth man, yes, who would get minutes over the guys I would prefer he plays. I think he's I think he's in it as long like at least at times um where you just like want another body. But to me this is the exact spot in the roster I'd want to improve at the deadline. This is the spot where I'd want someone that like makes George Yang sort of the guy you're not sure plays all the time and in, D- in the Dean Wade spot is like someone you feel better about. And then I'd feel a little bit better about the depth here. Is that doable? I don't know. I don't really totally know if they have the ammo to do that. But that's where I'd be aiming more than I would a backup guard. All right, so Wade is kind of like the first, like everyone else is very much in. He's kind of like toes a little bit in the water, but he's not fully in the pool. Uh, Craig Porter Jr. Yeah, he is a yes for me just because uh, I agree with you. I think if the Cavs make a move at the deadline, they need to get a bigger wing that can maybe play more of the three than George Niang is capable of. But other than that, like they do not really have a backup point guard. And if you want to spell Darius Garland during the regular season, come playoff time, it's a different conversation. But during the regular season, you want to not run Garland in the ground. You have a clear rookie who is more than capable of handling bench point guard responsibilities. I kind of think he is a no, just because like I don't think there's going there. We have some data that suggests that when this team is healthy, he doesn't play a lot. He's still in the two way that have to that have to be converted at some point because he's played in in twenty two games now. I don't know how many he's actually been active for. So you either got to convert him, or you maybe just don't play him as much. And um, I'm going to say no just because I think they might just skew having a backup point guard full time when this matters. All right, let me go to Sam Merrill, who I think is a no. Yeah, I think he's a. Despite showing out, and I think this is where it gets more uncomfy, um, 
he is a casualty of having too many guys ahead of him when this team is healthy. But I think if you are the Cavs or JB, you have a pretty more, at least a more firm understanding of how Sam Merrill works on this team versus like the Cavs approach it last year where they converted his two way towards the end of the season. Then he just like never played. So like it's tomato, tomato, like, like semantics and levels to this. What I would say is that I th- maybe there is a world where there's nights or stretches where they want to pull the lever and just play more offensive oriented. That's where Merrill could, could get some run. And you just, you just take the L that you're going to play another small, a, a, a wing. He's like not really wing size. He's so small that he's going to get bullied, but maybe just pull that lever. Tristan Thompson, I, th- I think is a no barring like foul trouble to Mobley or Allen. Yeah, or like let's say in the event like you run into like the Giannis's or the Embiid's of the world and you want to throw a guy at um, them instead of like beating up Mobley or Allen or keeping those one of those two out of foul trouble. Like, yeah, that, that's your kind of opportunity, right? Second round of the playoffs, Tristan Thompson? Yeah, uh, it could happen. You never know. Like the, uh, we saw... Um, the Cavs lead on a solution that worked for them in game two that they didn't use for three through five against the Knicks. So anything is possible as Kevin Garnett would say. All right. Then, then here's three, here's four names that I'm just going to, we're just going to say no. Isaiah Mobley, Amani Bates, Ty Jerome and Damian Jones. Those are all no. Damian Jones would actually be like a two fourths of those guys are trade fodder and it's Damian Jones and Ty Jerome like you <laughs> yeah, try to find upgrades like those are salaries you can cobble together and then like oh we have an open roster spot still and want to kind of maintain flexibility to sign a veteran hey Craig Porter let's convert your two way and like we'll stash Pete Nance or somebody or like maybe Zaire Smith if he's technically available for a two way contract Damian Jones at 2.5 million dollars so you him plus Rubio plus Wade gets you to, I, th- I want to say... 20-ish. Like, I think it's a little... I think it's more like... A little, a little like, less than 20. Like, maybe 18 to 19-ish. Let's, 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 I'm going to check. Cause I think it's like... I think it's going to be like 15. Because Rubio is making... Not the full mid-level. Rubio is making 6.1. So, he, no, well, what, no, well, he's like making half the mid-level. He's at 6.1. So, that's... Yeah, that's going to be like... 14-ish million dollars. That's not a ton, but that's a little north of the, what the, the mid-level was last summer. So that's not nothing. Yeah, Rubio, they got back. That Rubio deal's a little funky. All right, that's where we're going to end. That is going to be this Lockdown cast for January 4th, 2024. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Dermal. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always. Talk to you guys tomorrow. It's going to be a new episode of Stock Up, Stock Down, and Holding on the Cleveland Cavs. We did a little bit of that here. But I got to tell you, I'm going to go stock up on someone we talked about in this episode who wears a single-digit number. Figure out who it is. Talk to you tomorrow.